Test one, two, test one, two, test one, two, three, four, five. This is Uncle Hokage, your otaku uncle. How's everybody doing today? So this is the new setup for the new podcast. The one that I've been kind of making, the one that I've been putting together, the one that I have been building and creating for a couple of weeks now, I wanted to see if I could do something a little bit cleaner, a little bit better, a little bit nicer for you guys. So I'm taking it all in my studio to go. So this is Uncle Hokage's anime podcast. And today we are going to talk about the rising of the shield hero. I have my new setup. I've got my coffee. I have my Wikipedia page open so that I can definitely remember the character names. Um, Why am I talking about this podcast and not others? The main reason is because it's what I'm watching right now. That's kind of the whole point of Uncle Hokage's anime podcast. I want to let you guys in to whatever it is I'm recording, to whatever it is that I'm doing, so that you can kind of feel what I feel, think how I think, view what I view from my perspective. So if you are new to the podcast... Ooh, I knocked the thing. If you are new to the podcast, I'm Uncle Hokage. I am your otaku uncle. That means that I have been an anime OG, one of the originators for several years. I started watching anime when I was about 13. Uh, I knew what it was when I was about that age, I should say, because we all watched the beginning intro cartoons. When I was a kid, Sailor Moon was very prevalent. It was one of the anime that was being shown everywhere, followed by Dragon Ball Z, and then when I really knew what it was, Ranma one half. So 90s kid, grew up during that time, though technically born in the 80s. Um, I'm your otaku uncle because I'm older now, and I'm kind of looking back while looking forward at the same time. So I'm kind of in that weird middle road. Uh, when it comes to this anime thing, to where there is some cool stuff that happened in the past, yet at the same time, there is some amazing stuff that is happening right now, and there's going to be some great stuff happening in the future. I mean, some of it is, I'm, I can't wait for the Cowboy Bebop Netflix. I don't know what it is, I don't know why, but I feel like they have their backs against the wall, and if they don't get this one right, that's it. That is it for the live action anime adaptations when it comes to the Netflix TV genre. Uh, Death Note is garbage. Um, Full Metal Alchemist is ridiculous. Bleach is silly. Fun, campy. See, the Bleach live action, the Rama One Half live action, those remind me of like those old classic Fantastic Four movies. Just campy and ridiculous and kind of dumb and kind of dopey, that type of thing. But that's not what they're wanting to do. They want real form, real live action anime. And the only way that they can do it is by actually trying to make a good show. They need to daredevil the hell out of it. They need to figure out what they got to do. They need to get some good writers. They need to find somebody who can make a really good, fantastic adaptation because that's what's missing right now. Live action for anime is hard because of how... Uh, fantastical it is but we have the technology we have the capabilities we have the desire so they just need to make it happen and my hopes are on this cowboy bebop but 
that is not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about Rising of the Shield Hero for a lot of reasons. The Rising of the Shield Hero is the one that was recommended to me a few months back, three months, three or four months ago. I had just finished watching The Time I Was Reincarnated as a Slime by one of my anime co-workers, the anime crew at my office job. And he let me uh, use his VRV account so that I could watch that whole series because I've been watching most of my anime on Netflix and on Hulu and just like if I get bored, I'll watch a classic one on YouTube. But I hadn't had a Crunchyroll account in a while. I do now, but before that, I was just like, eh, I feel like I've seen it all. I feel like I've been around for a long time. I'm good. Um, but anime still sat closely in my heart until I was like, well, let me check out a show here and there. So I would pop in every year or so, and I'd watch whatever's new. Like, I was always uh, keeping abreast of whatever the new Shonen Jump was, right? So I love Shonen Jump almost to uh, a ridiculous degree. Even as I am now, I still feel the tugs that I felt during a lot of the Shonen Jump uh, era manga, where I feel like my prime peak for it was uh, Naruto, One Piece, um, Bleach, and then my favorite manga of all time is Hunter Hunter. But I was still watching My Hero Academia, obviously, um, I read a bunch of it before the anime came out. So when the anime came out, I was all like on board, which was not how I got into Ranma. Um, but then I was also watching The Promised Neverland, and then they put me on to Dr. Stone recently. So now I'm like, okay, I'm watching that, and I'm watching One Punch Man because that's just a brilliant show uh, by the creator of I Shield 21, former Shonen Jump creator. Um, but there's other things that I'm missing. I'm missing whatever the new wave is. And when I say the new wave, I mean the ones that are popular but not in the Shonen Jump um, catalog. Shonen Jump has a particular way of doing things. They have a particular perspective and view on the world, and they want their manga to tell certain stories and to fit in certain categories and more power to them. That's the game. If you are uh, trying to be in Shoujo Sunday, I think that's one, one of the, uh, one of the female um, centric ones where it's geared towards the teen girl and what they would like to read. Well, for the most part, you're going to be making some sort of slice of life romance or some sort of thing with drama because that is what that magazine demands. And same thing with Shonen Jump. You better believe there's going to be fights. You'd better believe there's going to be some sort of secret power in addition to extremely strong and um, otherworldly protagonists and antagonists. And you better believe that there's going to be some sort of fighting tournament in almost every single one. They're kind of getting away from that in a lot of them. But in all the fighting ones, uh, there's a tournament at some point. Uh, they can't be one in the Promised Neverland, um, and I doubt there's going to be one in Dr. Stone. I doubt there's even going to be real fighting in Dr. Stone. But you guys kind of get what I'm saying. Um, 
And yet there's always those genres and those shows and those episodes where they kind of pull away from that formula. They step back from that formula and they kind of um, generate something that is almost like a new vibe, a new community vibe, something going on in the community that uh, people can kind of talk about in this other field. So right now, what's popular are the shows where you're transported to an RPG world, and now you are relating to the RPG character elements um, almost as a real person. So you have multiple, multiple shows that are doing this kind of thing. So Goblin Slayer is one that I talked about a couple of days ago, where you aren't transported to a world, but you're kind of like witnessing what if this were a real life uh, thing. Uh, but it's an RPG, basically, a fantasy RPG or a JRPG with real world consequences. And the same thing with Rising of the Shield Hero. Um, there have been a few others. Sword Art Online really popularized it about four or five years ago. And now there are so many that it's like it's enjoying its own renaissance. So the people like myself, who are huge JRPG fans, we're now experiencing this kind of crazy renaissance of um, JRPG catharsis mixed with real world desire and how we kind of wish things were happening uh, to ourselves in our own lives. When I was, that's good coffee. When I was, I think eighth grade, no, it had to have been later than that. I had to have been in high school because I was playing Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII is my favorite Final Fantasy title. So, I mean, I talked about Final Fantasy on a different podcast. But uh, I just remember, like, playing it and then going outside and wishing. I was like, man, I don't have any money to go to the arcade. I don't have any money to buy any manga. I don't have any money to go whatever the hell I was trying to do. I wish I could just go pull out my sword, fight some mobs, get some coins, pocket it immediately, and then go and take that to some sort of local vendor. If I could just go outside uh, and I could like hunt some slimes or whatever the monster of the day was for Final Fantasy, uh, I would be set financially. <laughs> and it's like beyond that, it wasn't just about the money. It was kind of like the adventure. I wanted to bring that kind of wild adventure into my uh, everyday life as opposed to whatever my life was at the time, uh, which is was fine. There's nothing wrong or bad about my life. I've, I've been living a great life for several years, and it's all my perspective where it's been, there's been ups and there have been downs. But for the most part, I've been doing fairly well. Um, but that was my, like, hopes. And you know how it is when you're a kid. You want the things you see on screen and that you read about in books and you read about in manga, you want that to be actualized. You want it to be real. You want to be able to fly like Superman, to blast Kamehamehas like Goku, to uh, get your hunter's license like Gon and Killua, and then go to Greed Island and play the game. And you wouldn't 
be succumbed to the dangers because you'd be like those two. You'd be capable and smart and brilliant and strong and clever and find a a great teacher and all of that stuff. You know how it is. Monkey see, monkey do. Um, Monkey pee all over you. (laughs) All right, so all that being said, Rising of the Shield Hero is another one of those genres. It's that wish fulfillment of playing these JRPGs and then inter interjecting some humanity and some brain power and some willpower into what's actually occurring in the show. So I think that there's this weird trend where I'm kind of... I don't know if I'm wary or I'm just like, uh, because I feel like I've seen it so many times. Even though I know that this show is good. This show's been recommended to me up and down by people that I trust with great opinions and they always steer me to the right things and the right locations and the right avenues. However, as I'm watching the first episode, I'm still like, uh, I feel like I've seen this again and again. Oh, the main character is being super dopey. But it didn't disappoint because partway through, as soon as things got going, well, you know what? Let me just say this. So I'm going to talk about the first season. I think the first season. I believe there are two seasons. Um, I'm on episode 23, so I'm not going to get any further than that. So, Shield Hero, the rising of the Shield Hero. I'm going to do full spoiler talk because that's the only way I really know how to do it. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you don't want to be spoiled on this episode and this show, which I advise you not to, go ahead and turn this off. Watch the first season on Crunchyroll. That's what I'm doing. I think there are three more episodes for me uh, of this season. Or that might be the end of what's out right now. I'm not really sure. But that is kind of uh, where I'm at right now. I th- I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that if you've seen the first season, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. If you've seen only through tw- episode 23, you're good. Okay, there's my spoiler warning, long as it was. Let's kind of get right into it. So, as soon as, ooh, ooh, wait, 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 I have my, uh, I literally have the uh, Wikipedia open so that I can look at, I can look at the uh, different character names. Uh, And the character names are still not listed here in a convenient manner. That drives me nuts, but that's my own fault. I should have checked that. Awesome. This is all I needed. Because one of the things that I've learned uh, throughout my life is that I'm really good with remembering, remembering a lot of stuff, but I've never been great with names, so I have to work hard at it. I have little like name tricks I learned from some of my friends so that I can remember people's names and all that stuff. So, okay. So you have your main character, Naofumi Iwatani Naofumi. He is the shield hero. And in this world, um, he's summoned there along with three other human beings 
to uh, be defenders of this world. Typical RPG fodder, except it's pulling from the real world instead of, oh, some farmer in a village who either has like a, uh, a past that tries to remain hidden or who just has some sort of potential and he gets wrapped up in some big, incredible plot. So now Fumi is selected to be one of the four heroes. And each hero has its own individual weapon. There's the shield hero, the spear hero, the sword hero, and the bow hero. Um, what's interesting about each hero is that they can only use the legendary weapon of the sword, the spear, the bow, or in Naofumi's case, the shield, i.e. he's the shield hero. That doesn't mean they can use shields, they can only use their shield. So when he tries to pick up a different weapon, it basically shocks him and he says, you cannot use, you cannot use, error message, error message, etc. So what they have to do is they have to uh, upgrade. And what upgrading does is as they defeat enemies and they import the scraps of the enemies or I guess the materials into their weapon, it kind of like gives them new abilities, new powers, and they're able to upgrade. And it's one of those really cool RPG 101, really dope basic things that I really appreciate. So right off the bat, I'm like, okay, you know, it's very, very typical. But what makes it very atypical is how it it throws you off. That's really what we're looking for these days is a show that in a lot of ways throws us off the scent. A show that I'll say um, subverts expectations in a way that's satisfying. Not that subverts expectations in a way that's silly, but in a way that makes you go, oh, whoa. I will, did not see that coming. And that unexpected nature of it wow, that's really cool, I wanna watch more. You want that feeling. You really get that with Goblin Slayer and you get that here too. So you have uh, Malty who in the beginning when the, the four heroes are summoned, everyone is making fun of the shield hero. The other heroes are talking down on him. Uh, everyone uh, treats him like a buffoon. The king basically pretends like he doesn't even hear him. Everyone ignores him. He has to interject, and everyone is like, oh, what a dummy. He's so dumb. Weird. Very weird. Even the heroes are like that, which is a little bit odd. But they strike me as um, not on the sharper end of things, which I'll kind of want to get back to later because that's one of the things that kind of tugs at it, it just kind of bump, it bumps me a little bit. But, all right, so when he's first summoned and they have a group of adventurers waiting, they find out that each of the heroes gets to select their own party. Now, this is where things, once again, get interesting from a game gaming perspective because I'm putting myself in the character's shoes. He drops in and every party member lines up behind one of the other three heroes. The shield, the, the sword hero, spear hero, bow hero, and nobody decides to go with the shield hero. In fact, they all um, distance themselves from him. They view him as a loser, he's lame, and then he's, he looks around, the spear hero literally has all like hot women behind him, and he's like, hey, that's not fair, you know, typical otaku neat behavior. And 
he kind of looks and says, is no one going to go with me? Is no one going to uh, be with me? And one woman raises her hand and she says, I'll go with you, shield hero. I'm going to venture with you on your quest and be a member of your party. And he thanks her. And she's very sweet to him and very saccharine and helps him kind of like purchase items and takes him to a weapon shop and so forth and so on. And you can smell the setup coming from a mile away. The setup is not a surprise. The fact that Malty sets him up and basically robs him, I saw it coming a mile away. I'm sure you do too. It's laid out in front of us that things can't be this good and easy and whatever. What does surprise me <laughs> is how she sets him up. She accuses him of rape. Let me say that again. She accuses him of rape. She says that he pinned her down, he forced himself on her, and she escaped out of her room into wearing only a negligee and went over to the she to the spear hero's room. And all of the perks and everything he was supposed to get kind of gets pulled away from the king. Because as it turns out, Malty is the king's daughter, the princess. And so it's doubly bad because in this world, they have a matriarchy. So women are in charge. Um, and from that, rape, sexual assault is like the worst thing you can do. So it's pretty. it's a pretty... Interesting setup right there. So he just gets knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, and then he gets falsely accused, and then the story starts. That is the unique aspect of this show. The story starts where it's supposed to start. The show starts several minutes earlier with him in this bookstore, him getting sucked to this world, him being with the other heroes, them acting arrogant. That's when the, the show starts. But the story, the story starts at the accusation trial, when he gets cast aside, when he gets, uh, when he gets uh, disbelieved and he basically has to go and figure out how he's going to survive in this world. Wild. And that's the, that, that's the crazy part is because the, the king and the court, they're praising all these heroes. They're saying, oh, the heroes are amazing. Oh, the heroes are coming to save us because they have these things called calamities that come every like three months or something like that. And you have up until the next calamity before waves of monsters come. So I think it is some sort of cyclical thing because for the waves of monsters not to destroy everything, the, I feel like the waves kind of get stronger as the characters get stronger. And as time passes, you have a certain amount of time to catch up. There's some sort of karmic fairness, which isn't explained, but it's fine. I'm cool with that. It, it just feel, it makes it feel more RPG. And that's the first thing that I love about this show is how RPG it is. Once the character starts acting seriously and stops uh, looking at this world as this like silly buffoonery, um, when everybody thinks he's a rapist or thinks he's a sexual assault person, when everyone just puts him down, when everyone disregards him, and he realizes that he's truly on his own, he has to carve himself a place in the world. That's not something that I really expected. I didn't expect it to get that serious in that way. Goblin is Slayer in a different way. 
wait, wait. Did I say Goblin and Slayer? Goblin Slayer is serious in a different way. That seriousness comes with threats of violence, with attacks, with the actual fear of terrible deaths. This one is serious in the emotional pain that it exhibits. And I think that it's a very shiny side of a very interesting coin that I don't know if I've experienced in this lane that often. So he's now been essentially traumatized and everywhere he goes, people are just like coming at him in this terrible way. So he's outcast. And he's just like, okay, everyone thinks I'm evil. I'm going to figure this thing out. And what's really interesting, on top of all of that, on top of everything, he can't fight for himself because he is a shield hero. He can't grab a sword. He can't upgrade a spear. He can't purchase a bow. They shock him. He has to find somebody to party up with him, which is the whole point of multi-partying with him because she would do the fighting. He would gain levels with her. But now, because of the accusation put upon him, no one will party with him. And that is the crux. And that leads us to the actual first main character. It's so funny because I was not planning to spend so much time in the beginning stages of the show. I, I, I didn't know I was going to do this much setup. But it's so gripping when I go back and think about all that's occurred. Because where I'm at right now, um, they basically just beated, beated. They basically just defeated the Pope and his crazy plot. And so now it's like, okay, we're gearing up to start phase two of the show. Um, no, actually, I'd say this is phase three. Because phase one is his intro and his companion. Phase two is once she kind of like acknowledges him, he kind of settles down and then they're able to kind of expand and do go on a, another adventure and then the princess thing all leading up to the Pope. Phase three now is, um, okay, now all the heroes are kind of working together kind of, but can they really... And who are these new people that are showing up? How can they level up in time and work together before the next uh, calamity occurs? So I'm trying to think what I thought he was going to be like. Because I thought he was going to be outwardly kind and inwardly afraid but instead he's outwardly mean and inwardly kind uh, so when he uh, when he goes and he finally uh, gets his first party member it's a slave he goes to a slaver and no 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 the slaver comes up to him when he's just sitting there and he's desperate and he's like, I don't know what to do. And the slaver's like, oh, I know exactly what you need. Come with me, young man. And he kind of like <laughs> takes him down this dark alley in the most like evil alley looking possible. And there's all these like creatures in cages and there's all of these, um, I don't know. It's just like a bad place. And that is incredibly obvious uh, by the decor, by the vibe and everything. The slavers suggest a level 75 wolf creature. 
which the thing with those is that all of the creatures and stuff they have in slave have these slave crests that make you obey uh, the person um, who has been bound to you by blood contract. Uh, it's a circle right in the center of their chest. And uh, if you, if the master tells them to do something and then the slave disobeys, they get shocked. They get electrocuted. So all of these creatures have a crest, and which depending on the one he buys, now Fumi has to um, uh, enter a contract with them. So as he's walking through, he comes across a cage with uh, a small girl with tanuki ears and a tail. And she doesn't look particularly strong, but he, 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 she's sick, she's coughing, uh, she's very young, but he buys her anyway. Now, I'm thinking he's just buying her because he's showing his good side, but he does intend to take her uh, with him partying. She is going to be his first major companion. She's going to be the first one to actually go with him on his journey, and it's very weird. So he purchases her, goes back to the weapon shop from earlier, gets her a weapon she can use, and then forces her to stab one of those glowy balloon, pumpkin face, jack-o'-lantern balloon things. Um, she's super young. She's weak. Um, but she does it because he basically commands her to. He says, do it. You will do it. You, I can't fight. I'm a shield hero. You have to fight. So long... The long and short of it is that he shows kindness to her that she was not expecting. Um, and we see little glimpses of her flashback where it turns out she's from uh, a group of demi-humans. Now, in this world, demi-humans are just creatures that have animal ears and tails, um, which is a, another anime trope where you have the cat girls, raccoon girls, panda girls, the mouse guys, the... Uh, who else am I missing? The hot girls, the girls with wings, blah, 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 blah. Read any, basically any generic uh, fantasy manga and someone's going to have some cat ears or cat tails. Or if you're playing a JRPG, one of the characters is going to be like part tiger or something, like in Breath of Fire. And they're going to have a tail, but they're going to be extra strong and kind of wild and you know how it is. So... That right there um, shows you that it's kind of connected to the genre. It is the RPG elements of the genre. It is that same feeling that you get in all the games. It's one of the reasons why it's so enthralling. Anyways, he treats her very well because in this world, demi-humans are looked down upon. They're treated bad. They... Um, they basically are second, third, fourth class citizens. They're slaves. They're slaves and indentured servants, and they do whatever the normal, non-demi-human uh, people uh, command. Now, we learn a little bit about the lore um, in the beginning and a little bit later that demi-humans actually worship the shield hero because he's always been very kind to them in the past. And that's part of the reason there's some sort of animosity between the shield hero and the other uh, human beings because they created a church where it's the church of the three heroes, the sword, shield, the sword, the bow, and the spear. 
and the shield hero has no mention. But apparently, later on, we learn that in other countries, uh, ones that are ran by demi-humans, they worship the shield hero like a god. Uh, it's kind of interesting, too, because how it was originally supposed to be, kind of getting into some of the lore. And I did tell you this is spoilers for that season, so I'm going to jump around. When you kind of get into the lore, you learn that the system is not operating in the way it should be because the king kind of screwed up. As the waves come, what's supposed to happen is one hero is supposed to be summoned for each of the four countries. So they're not supposed to actually be summoned to the same spot. But because he wanted the um, all four heroes for himself, or I guess three, he summoned them all. And you can't summon just three. You have to summon four. <coughs> That's why he also summoned the shield hero, even though he can't stand him. So there's also some backstory, which I don't know if we've really gotten, where the king uh, is afraid he's going to lose his family to the shield hero. Like something happened to him in the past, and I'm not really sure yet. Uh, and if they showed it toward the end of the season, I might have missed it, but I don't think they have yet. Um, in addition to that, It, it, his selfishness of wanting to kind of control the heroes and direct them and have them fight for his country caused multiple problems. That means when calamities occurred, there are no heroes in places where there need to be. There's no um, camaraderie. It's all this weird kind of egotistical competition. So, okay, let me go ahead and get right into one of the things that just is driving me absolutely crazy. It's the other three heroes. So that's the only part of the show where I'm like, this, this is skewing a little young for me. They're very stupid, like almost too stupid. And it's kind of uh, makes no sense. So you have your shield hero. He's smart. He's capable. He's willing. He's passionate. He's hungry. He's definitely trying to do something kind of in this world. And then you have your other heroes, and they are, you know, egotistical, bumbling, ridiculous, gullible, um, strong, but they're all idiots. And even the ones who are supposedly reasonable thinking and uh, rational, they slip in and out of that so often that they just come across as, as stupid. And I think that that's doing the show a little bit of a disservice. If you're going to have every hero be just dumb, um, yeah, it makes the shield hero much better by contrast, but not that much better because anyone's going to be better than those idiots. Like, you should make at least one of them capable, one or two of them smart, so that there is a little bit more uh, com compassion and understanding once they come around to his side. Because when they come around to the truth, I don't even know if they really do. The one guy, the shield hero, he's so dumb, he's still thinking that Malty didn't do anything wrong. And she's like the queen of, like, idiocy. Uh, or not idiocy, of backstabbing and revenge and terribleness. Some of the stuff that she does that people believe is so over the top, it's just silly. And the fact that they have television, sort of, where they film him in, like, 
through a crystal ball, and then they altered the footage. And I was like, eh. They're trying to come up with too many ways to put him back in that position where no one believes him. Um, and those heroes are just so dumb. They're so dumb. It drives me up the wall. Some of the times I'm just like, I feel like I'll just like come back in another like 20, 30 minutes. And it's so funny because when he meets the queen of, uh, I'm going to forget the name, the giant chicken lady, the giant chicken queen, Philota, I think her name is. Yeah, when he meets Vittoria, right, the queen of the Philolios, she asked him if he tried to talk with the other heroes to clear his name. And if he doesn't talk with them, then um, if he doesn't talk with them, he's basically admitting his guilt and so forth and so on. And I was like, eh. All right, I feel like that's skewing a little bit younger too because that's a little bit too black and white thinking. That's not really true. Just because you don't talk with someone doesn't mean you're admitting guilt. That maybe they're just too dumb to understand what you have to say. <laughs> like this is what I'm getting at. Some of the internal discourse that the show maintains, that the show puts forward, I don't think works or is as strong as it could be. However, those are very, very minor, minor gripes because I'm loving the show. I'm addicted to the show. I think it's one of the best manga anime of the past couple of years. And the more things that I kind of touch upon here and there that I'm able to kind of draw, it just lets me know that the culture and the genre and what's being created continues to live on. I wish that there were shows like these. When Dot Hat came out, Back in 2000 and whatever, based off the games, I wish to God that that show was good. It's okay. It's not that great. I wished it was like this. But they finally found their way in. And their way in is story, story, story. They're being respectful of what the genre actually is. The problem with Dot .hack, the problem with Street Fighter 2, the problem with Tekken, the problem with uh, Virtual Fighter, Mega Man, all of those video games that tried to make shows out of the games is that they thought they could just put the stuff in the game on TV and that would make it good. It doesn't. It doesn't. You have to tell a story. King and Asura is Street Fighter 2 with a story. Right? These games... Um, Sword, not Sword Art Online. Yeah, Sword. I'll say Sword Art Online, though it's not my favorite. But Sword Art Online, Rising of the Shield Hero, Goblin Slayer are dot hack with a story, not just oh look, it's MMO and there's MMO stuff and look, people are being MMO-ish. No, it's a story. It's wild. So the story is what lures us in. The characters keep us there, and the setting sets us at ease. I'm. I'm really liking how um, how not unique, but how realized the world is. Um, for the most part, everything uh, everything goes together. You have uh, a lot of nods to other games and other things. So some nods to Final Fantasy with the Philolios, basically your Chocobo. You have um, the bombs with the faces that bite you, uh, which are basically like the bombs in Final Fantasy, where when you hit them too many times, they'll explode on you. 
Shout out to Final Fantasy 8 and 9. You have... You have the, the kind of half magic part science stuff going on, which occurs all the time. You have the evil um, the evil chaplain or the evil pope. And yet it's its own animal. It's its own thing. They found a way to characterize the RPG elements. So you don't actually have to sit there while he grinds. And yet they will actively say, let's go grind some levels. Let me go upgrade my skills. Oh, make sure you acquire enough skills, uh, skill points, so that we can uh, upgrade you to how you want. Oh, you didn't upgrade to the skill you wanted. You didn't get to select. That sucks. Oh, he drained. I drained their mana. Like it's RPG talk 101. It's awesome. I love that aspect of it. It doesn't shy away from it. It doesn't try to hide it. King and Asura doesn't hide the fact that it's an underground fighting tournament with people along walls or by cars pumping their fists in the air and shouting. It just embraces it and says, "Yeah, it's real," but people are still doing this weird stuff. Street Fighter, uh, the animes. I don't feel really did that. What they did is they would try to kind of disguise the fighting gameness of it. And the times where it could have been silly, they were like, no, no, that's that's not how it works in the real world. Well, I don't expect the real world. I'm expecting people to to spin in the air, one leg outstretched, and then twist twist around and kick people. Like, I'm expecting people to do the splits, flip upside down and spin, and go across the screen and kick people and somehow fly through the air. Like, don't re don't make my fantasy realistic. Okay? Just let it be fantastical. That is what we're here for. So when you have this guy and he's like, all right, I gotta go outside and I gotta fight the low-level mobs, and then he levels up and he has a freaking um a gooey with his hotkeys and his hit points and his mana and all of that stuff, they embrace it. They embrace it. That's what I'm talking about. It knows what it is. It says this is a game world, or at least to humans, it is a world with game mechanics. But in that world, those game mechanics are just part of the world. You have to upgrade. You have to purchase. Um, the, okay, I want to talk, too, about the characters because there's this other thing where I'm just like, I understand where it's coming from. I understand what they're doing. I understand why they do it. But my question is, do they need to do this every single time? In this show, all of his companions are female. All of them. Every single one of them he uh, got since they were like basically like 10 or 12 and he's raising them. Um, Raftalia got her when she was a kid and then when she matured she got older and got a figure and got busty and got hips and then when she got old and then when she leveled up again she got older still so now she's in adult form. And she's infatuated with the shield hero. She's basically in love with him. She wants him to marry her, basically, right? Now, what used to be just like a master-pupil relationship, they're growing together. Now it's almost a will-they-won't-they they without them actually doing any romance subplot. 
Then there's um, Philo. Now, she's still a kid. And he actually hatched her out of an egg. She uh, leveled up and got bigger, leveled up, got too really big. And then when she went to sleep, she turned into a, a little young human girl with wings. Okay, cool. Really weird, really unique, really interesting, really strange. Exactly what we want. Awesome. Then you find out. Okay, there's uh, another princess, and let me get her name, too, because I want to make sure. Yeah, her name is Melty, and every time I hear it, I think of that uh, video game I played at the Game uh, Expo, Melty Blood, that fighting game, which I think is based on an anime. But anyways, Melty is another one of the uh, princess. Melty Q. Melomark. She's like the same age as Philo, their best friend. It's like watching Gone and Killua. But she apparently has a crush on the Shield Hero too. And um, Philo is even said, oh, I hope when I get older that uh, I can get him to mate with me. And I think it's just going to keep going on and on. All of his party members are women. All of them. All of them are infatuated with him or have a crush on him. They're young. Uh, they grow up and they just like, I, I think I understand what they're doing. Uh, the, that genre, kind of that moe blobby genre where you have this kind of like lame character who, depending on the circumstance, has all of these different types of women interested in him. But in this world, in this world, you would think that there would be at least one male companion. Like, I see Goblin Slayer, they have a harem side quest, too, where you have two or three girls who are into the Goblin Slayer because he is the hero. He's basically Batman and in armor. And, yeah, because he's the most powerful, capable, goblin, badass fighter there is, yeah, a lot of women are going to be infatuated with him. But in Rising of the Shield Hero... They're party members, but they're into him. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. Does it need to be the case? And do they all have to be so young? And couldn't we have some other um, party members as well? Uh, where's the cool brawny character who's like a, a barbarian? Where's the cool um, uh, former, former knight who was in service to the king, but who abandoned his post also he could follow the shield hero. Where's like that type of character? I need more variety when it comes to party members because I don't want things to be so uniform and so the same. This show is so good, I feel like it could expand beyond that. Um, and this, the stupidity of it. Like when... Not the stupidity of the show, of the of the male characters. They're all really dumb. When he gets on that boat, after he defeats the Pope, and they're like, okay, we're going to go to this island, and we're going to level up. That's like the episode I'm watching now. And they're like, hey, what's your name? He's like, hey, I'm now Fumi. And he's like, hey, why would you pick such an uh, obvious fake name? Uh, pick a different one. He's like, that's the name of the shield hero. He's like, I am the shield hero. And then no one believes him, even though he has a shield nailed to his forearm. And then they say, oh, then the shield hero is an evil guy who uh, you shouldn't trust, and he's the worst. This still going on? We're still going with that plot? I don't know. I feel like they could do more. Um, but yeah, this show's great. And it, it's not like 
some of the other ones where the focus is the fighting. There's fighting, but that's not the focus. It's the game aspect of it. When he does his stuff, you start to consider, what would I do if I were in his position? How would I react if all these people were falsely accusing me? Would I really get upset or would I just leave? Would I actually stay and fight? Would I help so many people the way he does? And he does. And partly that's because Raftalia is there to kind of nudge him in the right direction and partly because he actually is a good person. He sees the NPCs, as they were, as real human beings because in this world, they are. And when he does, you know how in a game when you help a random stranger or you help somebody who is like, oh, my, my mom is sick and she needs a medicine and you go and give her a special medicine and then like, Five hours later, seven hours later, it turns out she's also like owns this shop and now you have a great discount or whatever, or she's going to help you on some quest. There's tons of stuff like that. I love the RPG-ness of the show so much. It really, it really takes me to younger times when I f- really felt like I was um, playing a game, not just watching a show, but I'm playing a game. And that's one of the things I 130% love about this show. I think it is fantastic in that regard. Um, I love the fact that the character is so consistent. He continues to play the bad guy while being the good guy all along for whatever reason. I don't know why that is, but that's the route that they're taking. It's not like Goblin Slayer where he's just become so undeniable that everyone is like secretly respecting him. Once they get to know him, they're like, oh, no, no, no. You, th- you, think, you think you understand, but that's Goblin Slayer, so you better back off. Because he, yeah, don't mess with Goblin Slayer. No, everyone still thinks he's dumb, even though he's the most capable person there, except for the people in his party and the queen and a couple other people that he meets along the way. So that aspect of it is very weird. So the calamities are interesting too. And let me tell you why. It's because they tell you when they're coming. (laughs) The bad guys make an appointment. They put it on your calendar. You get an Outlook uh, pop-up message saying, hey, you know, your um, next calamity is going to be in 15 minutes. Do you want to set a snooze for five minutes before it starts? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, And then the sky turns red and waves and waves of enemies fall down to the sky and you just see these hordes of monsters rushing towards towns, towards villages, towards people. And it's an interesting concept because if they're going after the country, what do you really do? What's your real goal during a calamity? Is it to just kill some monsters and level up? Is it to rescue a town? Is it to protect the entire country? Can you protect an entire country? What are the limitations, capabilities of the calamity? How much damage is actually done during them? Because he and the other heroes aren't everywhere. And since we know that the different heroes were supposed to be summoned to multiple countries, how bad is it in the other countries where they don't have any heroes? How bad is it in the other countries where they just have to sit and watch their cities burn? Do they still have cities? That, I'm sure, is going to be answered in season uh, two. But right now, where I'm at with the show, these are still unanswered, beautiful, unanswered questions. And they are the type of questions that make me... um, 
basically love this show. I think that this show is fantastic. I love how much it plays to my own personal individual sensibilities as an RPG gamer. I love how the characters are so consistent in who they are and how they react that it makes things easier. And there's also room to breathe on this show because it's kind of taking its time and the characters aren't getting too OP too fast. And they're actually taking their time and building their stats. Like it's a stat-based show as opposed to a skill-based show. Finding unique things, uh, quelling different things, taking risks, stuff like that. Um, because of that, you can take these little wandering paths where you do hatch a, a, a philolial egg. And you do um, go to like the hot springs and uh, Raftalia and Philo have their own little mini adventure. That type of stuff, I really kind of appreciate because the pacing, it's taking its time and I'm not in any rush. And when we do get there, when we do get to those endpoints, it feels earned and it feels satisfying and it feels good. Um, yeah, it's a great show, man. It's fantastic. So what else can I kind of say? Since I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting to the end point of the episode where I feel like um, I've said all of the broad points that I should probably hit on with this with this show. I highly recommend it. I think it's one of the better anime out there. I don't think I'm ever gonna do an episode by episode review of anything. I may do half a season, and another half, but that's too slow for me. I want to be able to jump around, give more insight, um, say more things. I do wish in the show that he would show more variety of the shields because when they go in and show his skill tree, when they go in and show his skill tree, it looks like he has hundreds of different varieties with different varying branches of the shield, but they're only showing the same like five. They show the one with the snakes, they show the air shield, they show the shield prison, and they show that... Um, one that makes him go berserk, the, the cursed uh, dragon shield with that kind of like uh, crazy armor. Um, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I want more variety of the types of shields that he has because if he's been doing this and grinding and finding new things and sampling, that's going to show in the character. You're going to test out all the different options that you have. But I get it. They're doing for the ease of use. You don't want too many new skills because then he seems like he's pulling this stuff basically out of his ass. And then you don't want – you want to be able to use the old skills in new ways. So it's a weird catch-22. So I understand from a story point. But maybe just throw in two or three more. Um, <laughs> give me some more variety. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like if it were me – I would be sampling more. I would be doing more more random things, more tests. And I don't know if I would care. I don't know if these people said I was the worst, if they exiled me or whatever. But I feel like in the beginning I wouldn't, but then after a while I would because if it's a real world, no one wants to be isolated, talked down, have their reputation ruined. Nobody wants that. You want to be loved, respected, adored, uh, considered and a part of a community and that is one of the strengths of this show of uh, making it feel like everybody's acting in a way that is real 
that they would normally act in a real world. So what I'm hoping to see as far as season two goes is more shields, is um, less dumb uh, other characters, but I doubt that's going to happen, and the other countries. What's going to happen? What's happening in the demi-human world where they worship the shield hero? How is he going to take to that? Because they're, they're not going to be perfect. There's going to be problems there too. And I need some male companions or at least some older female companions because it's skewing super, super young. Um, if I'm putting myself in the, in the shoes of the protagonist, the shield hero, it's one thing to um, help everybody and everything, but when you have so many young companions, you don't feel like you can really be yourself. You feel like a parent, which I'm sure he does most of the time. A parent and a big brother, and sometimes he just you need someone your own age that you can kind of relate to. And Raftalia needs some competition. She needs somebody that can actually take her place so she can be jealous in a realistic way instead of just jealous of a little kid. And in addition to that, Give me some male companions, um, a big burly guy, uh, somebody who uses like a spear or uh, a two-handed great sword or, you know, yeah, just throw guts in there from Berserk, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff. Um, I think that the, the if, if, if you guys um, haven't already, you should recommend this show to everybody. Uh, if you haven't already and you cosplay, you should definitely cosplay as one of these characters. I think the next time, the next event we go to, I'm going to be specifically looking for people dressed as Rising of the Shield hero uh, and so forth. So I think, I think that's good. I think that's good for uh, my season one talk. I have my, my coffee here, which I've been kind of sipping on. Uh, throughout, I didn't even finish, and I have a couple of sugar cookies, which I think I'm going to eat afterwards. Uh, that's my that's my treat for a job well done. <laughs> um, but in truth, uh, I just want to thank you guys for listening to Uncle Hokage's anime podcast. I'm hoping that I can keep doing them like this. Let the circumstances be what they may, and. I can keep giving you these kind of nicer, higher quality podcasts. I don't even know how I'm going to upload this. I believe if I save the file to my phone, I can upload it that way. We will see. Otherwise, I think I can go to the Anchor website and upload it from the computer. I hope I can do that because that would be the simplest way. So um, like I always say, I hope you guys are waking up in anime every day. Start your day with something that you love so that you can make sure that you are in love with every day because why shouldn't you be? We only have so many of them, so have as much fun as you possibly can. In addition to that, uh, go to sleep in anime. Go to sleep in JRPG. I hope you dream of uh, fighting games. I hope that... Uh, you go to a uh, manga store. I hope you find half-price manga at half-price books. I hope you order something cool on eBay. I hope you get new figurines for your work desk. And I want you to always, always, always do what you love, be who you are, and don't succumb to outside pressures. So I'm Uncle Hokage, your otaku uncle. Thank you for listening to Uncle Hokage's anime podcast. Do me a favor. Share this podcast with one other person, one other anime fan who may like some random introspective thoughts on new anime programs, on new shows, on classic shows. And I'm going to try and give you as many of these as I possibly can. I'm not a schedule guy. I'm not a, yeah, I'm going to do one every day. I'm more fluid. I like going with the flow of life. So new 
next latest best will be coming as soon as I can. I'm Uncle Hokage, your otaku uncle. Find me on all social media channels, but most importantly, do me the favor of sharing this podcast with one person. Um, So yeah, like, share, subscribe, love, peace, and hair grease.